0: Hello once again, nerds and goobers, it's your boy Kyle here with a quandary of a quotation or a, what's the word I'm looking for, turn of phrase for you guys. I know I like to flip some words around and put them together and make them sound cool, but I've got one that I really have not managed to use uh, for this series in which I remember cassettes quite yet. Because I haven't really had a movie that summarizes this phrase quite so well as this film. And the phrase is, aged like a fine steak. Yeah, I mean, you know things that age well are wines, certain types of beer, liquor in general, uh, cheese as if it's the right kind of cheese, and I don't know. Fancy food for fancy people ages well. Things that don't age well, even though it's for fancy people... Ergo, I've only had it twice, but I like how to turn the phrase. It's age like a fine steak. And if you need some description of what happens when a steak ages, watch a movie called Rat Race. Or don't. I don't care. But I'm describing it for you this week, because it's uh, this week's movie. Rat Race is, once every, I don't know, 35, 40 years or so, I'm just gonna get right into a description. Hollywood comes with this grand idea to show off and showcase comedians doing funny stuff. I guess their bits or whatever, uh, and it entertains audiences. Now, a little bit of film history. The history of like film versus television tends to ebb and flow with time. Like sometimes, I mean, television has had the grasp on things. I mean, the golden age of television, which was covered in a uh, Cats Don't Dance and other movies uh, it went around until about 1950 uh, that sort of changed when television made the scene and stole the screen because now when television became widely accessible in the 50s people were able to sit around and not leave their house and spend money at a movie theater because they just had their stuff to watch at home they can watch Lucy on their big enormous 12 inch screen so Hollywood answered in the late 50s and early 60s by making what we call the epic film genre which is big, lofty films that take like three hours to watch and several months to a year to make, which is a titanic undertaking from Hollywood. You've got big sets across the world. Uh, that's where you have real big movie stars. It's where you got your Tony Curtis's and your, uh, Elizabeth Taylor's. You got big stars to star in big films like your Ben-Hur's and great races and, Ben-Hur's It's So Big they did tw- Ten Commandments There's a big one um, These were all Dramatic epics Or High concept uh, Comedies Pie in the face gags Like that's what Great Race did uh, I've watched Great Race Recently but that's A real favorite of mine Slapstick That's what I'm looking for uh, But One thing that set Them all apart was uh, A film That said When all the Hollywood People said You know what Let's just put everybody ever in a movie and make it three hours and just stick everyone in there at once. Uh, The result of that was Mad Monster Party. That only came out to an hour and a half. But then with real comedians, surprise twist there, they made a little big jaunt called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which was just... Every comedian worth their salt, big screen, small screen. If they were still alive, it between 1963 and 1968, it was one of those two years when it came out. They found their way into this movie, if only for five seconds. But the plot of the film was a bunch of the big celebrities at the time, including like Bobby Hackett, Buddy Hackett, Mickey Rooney, Jonathan Winters, Ethel Merman, who you may remember from, Rudolph and Frosty. It, Phil Silver. Well, Phil Silvers wasn't the main character, but he shows up eventually. but like Sid Caesar. They all um, see Jimmy Durante die and announce that a bunch of money has been left someplace across the country. And everyone goes on this mad chase where they encounter other celebrities who are left in and pushed out of the fold to get to this treasure buried underground. And it's just fantastic. and screwball and goes all around the country. A plane flies through a billboard. It's pretty nifty. And it was a good legendary comedy of its time, it still kind of holds up today. Now, let's flash forward to the turn of the century, turn of the millennium, the year 2000. Uh, a bunch of robots in a boardroom said, You know what? Let's do that again. Let's get all the celebrities, comedians worth their salt to show up in a movie about chasing money across the country, and we're going to have a good time with it. So they high fived sucked each other off as boardroom executives, the people that are behind this film rat race, are one to do, and said, all right, let's do this thing. And they gathered as many celebrities as they could that were relevant at the time, but the different... Oh, oh by the way, history of television and film, uh, I skipped a bunch of time. Okay, so um, the 60s had the epic film genre, then we got all the family Archie Bunker in the 70s, which revolutionized the sitcom so that got people back over there um then they got really technological big budget blockbuster films that defined the 80s and we had John frickin Hughes and they really played off to white privilege and just awful people because everything was awful in the 80s that is a good idea for a podcast I should start sometime just how awful the 80s were but everything was awful in the 80s television took a back seat um then we had the 90s which were pretty nifty Uh, they really started leaning in on children's films. That was where we had the animation bonanza of Disney and everybody else, which is where we got all those films that I've talked about already. Uh, television had also animation and stuff, but, uh, there was Pulp Fiction. So Tarantino just really art housey, amazing films. And also Forrest Gump happened. Uh, dr- dramatic stuff Steven Spielberg all the 80's names started taking the dramatic turns except for of course John Hughes who did his own thing until he died uh, 2000's everything was terrible uh, but we started getting cable TV shows yeah 2010's we have Netflix and big spoilerific comic book films that you have to go to a theater and sit your butt in the seat and spend $35 uh, that's what's on Vogue in theaters hooray But back in 2000-ish, we uh, just said, you know what? Let's get everybody from all the comedy, except it's just movies. And it's people that were B-plus, maybe a listers specifically in 2000. And get them to chase after money. And that little thing was called Rat Race. Um, Really, it's a plot of everybody doing all that stuff, chasing money, except it's only over, like, 300 miles. But they find a way to make all of their shots taking place in the desert last an hour and a half because nobody wants to watch a three-hour movie unless everybody's in it. And, dear audience, I assure you, not everybody was in it. Um, it came out on cassette after something happened because it came out in the summer of 2001. came out about six months later on cassette after certain things has hap- had happened that demonstrate... My friends, this film ages like a fine steak. Let's walk in and join that chase of that infamous movie known as Rat Race. I remember this cassette. As I have kind of indicated, the definition of celebrity or movie star or comedian uh, became a lot more broad in the 35 years since Mad, 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 Mad World before Rat Race came out. So I think that was the primary failing of trying to remake Mad, 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 Mad World. I appreciate that they didn't use the same name as remakes of the 2010s are more likely to do. And I think that's the biggest failing of the movie, that there's just too broad of a spectrum of comedians that they couldn't have possibly gotten everybody. So they made at least a decent effort to get a bunch of people. And the secondary failing was they didn't account for uh, the elephant melting the steel beams in the room. That was 9-11 that would sour up a lot of the plot a mere two months after it came out. But Zoolander was able to overcome it, but this one just simply couldn't for reasons that I'll get to. But, point is, uh, they did a decent job trying to pull a lot of people in. There's a surprising number of cameos. I mean, it pales in comparison, even if you cut Mad Mad World in half. The sheer amount of cameos still dwar- is still dwarfed by Mad Mad World. But, um, the movie starts basically with Six people getting six magical coins that forces them to meet John Cleese. Now, I'm doing this film very early in the year 2019, dear audience, to give you some little hints on things that might be coming in the next year. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and list the six people that have their coins. I won't know everybody. I don't even know who's, in the, who's the secondary cast members are, but I'm going to go with the six that are primary and we know the best. First, we have Rowan Atkinson, who was probably the most famous person in that movie at the time, best known for It to Americans as being Mr. Bean, which he had come off the movie Bean in 1997. So he's still pretty well-known, pretty well-liked. I think he was a lot better in Blackadder in the 80s, but that is a very British, very dry sort of thing. I can't roll my R's right now. I have not had enough water. Uh, but he's there as a narcoleptic Argentinian who... Uh, gets the coin. Uh, we'll get to the scene where they all meet, but I'm just listing the, the big six and their partners in crime. Uh, second was Seth Green, who you may have known from Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, he was an up-and-comer, and he had a pretty good career afterwards, uh, if you count Robot Chicken as a good career, and if you count Family Guy as a good career, but if you do, dear audience, he's doing all right. Uh, he gets a coin with his brother, who I don't remember who he is, but for our for plot purposes, it'll be the Seth Green plot. Uh, next, we had John Lovitz, who showed up somewhere in The Wedding Singer, and he and his he's a family guy in that, as opposed to the son and family guy who is Seth Green, who I already mentioned. Uh, he and his is a vacationing family. By the way, this all takes place in a Vegas casino. So the opening of the film is just them getting these mysterious coins by doing stuff. Uh, Seth Green's a con artist, Rowan Atkinson just, they don't explain his story and that's the joke. Um, John Levitz just gets it because he's getting away from his family and two horrible children. Uh, Next we have Whoopi Goldberg's daughter who I don't remember but Whoopi Goldberg is involved because Whoopi Goldberg's daughter who I would just call Kamala Harris, uh, I feel really bad for not knowing that one because she was actually pretty funny. Uh, She gets the coin uh, meeting with her estranged mother who is Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, that will be the Whoopi Goldberg clock when we get to that, because they are tied at the hip together. Then we have, oh, it's getting tough and obscure here. Then there was Breckin Meyer, who you will later get to know as John Fatty Arbuckle in the Garfield movies, Oh Boy, Oh Boy, We also in Josie and the Pussycats, I think. We'll get to that. Um... He is there on his own as a single guy, therefore a bachelor party for his friends who don't even appear in the film because, hey, they couldn't even get cameos for people to appear in one frickin' scene. Uh, he gets one, and finally we have Cuba Gooding Jr. who, with dear readers, audience, I wouldn't be surprised if you knew from anything else, because I certainly don't, but he's around. Uh, he's a pilot who is just flying through and gets a coin while he's waiting in the casino. So they are our big six and they all get coins that leads them to meet with eccentric billionaire, John Cleese, who is from Monty Python and the Swan Princess films. And by the Swan Princess films, I just mean the first one. Uh, They all, he has announced that he has hidden $2.2 million in unmarked non-sequential bills and pinky rings in a locker in Silver City, New Mexico, which is 300 miles from the hotel where things are happening. Uh, He lays his plan out because he wants he and his rich loser friends to bet on it because it just wants to be a good wager just to see how people interact with one another when there's a lot of money on the line. So it's just like the board members trying to design how... To make a movie like Mad, 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 Mad World And they say, you know what, do what we do And put some money someplace And make people chase after it And then there's some interlude scenes where He and his manservant Teller Because they couldn't get Penn to show up But Teller is his talk- Untalking, trusty, personality-less Sidekick, there's some jokes between all Of them as they are introduced uh, Enrico Pelini is Rowan Atkinson, he's got an Italian accent And doesn't make sense, and that's just Kooky uh, a gun gets fired. They don't understand. But then, slowly but surely, they leave the big hotel room. And timeless tune, "Who Let the Dogs Out," plays as they all run out of a, run down a staircase and go on their merry way in their own separate ways. Uh, there are several interluding scenes where John Cleese and pals are betting on what's going on because it's a big betting game. Everyone's betting on which of the six are going to do that. They're pulling odds. Uh, When they're having intermissions between stories, they just show them betting on Pepto-Bismol and Hookers and Blow and, you know, usual rich people in Vegas sort of stuff. For simplicity's sake, I'm probably going to break down stories person by person rather than chronologically after something happens. But, uh, yeah, let's just see how people go about their adventures and who they meet along the way because that's really what adventures are about as I have said many times before, and will, ironically, again. So another major failing in comparison to Mad World, which I'm just going to call it Mad World from here on. I know there's four Mads. You all know there's four Mads. We're on the same page here. But another major failing is Rat Race never really has the characters interact except at the beginning and the end. It's essentially six different stories that make for six different kind of comedies that star six different characters stars that they could make vehicles off of, but none of them really wanted to go full measure on that, so it's not so much a half measure, as a one-sixth measure times six, and then with kind of a bookends that resemble a coherent plot that drives everything together. But, yeah, it's six different stories, and I'll probably just break them down piece by piece. Each one of them kind of has two acts. Like, everyone gets two big scenes uh, as they go make the long and treacherous journey for, like, 300 miles between vegas and some place in new mexico right uh for the sake of putting the plot together and making it so everyone doesn't fly down there i'll start with the plot that involves knocking the planes out because hey air travel and attacks on it thereof are hunky-dory in the, at least the summer of 2001 that is seth green's story seth green and his brother whose name is Dwayne, and i don't know who the actor is are con artists that uh do stuff Uh, the movie starts with them knocking uh, falling down a staircase but then a lawyer sees them and they freak out and so they just keep cool by pulling coins out of slot machines and they get the magic coin Uh, first thing they do is they want to knock out air travel because they're poor because they're con artists so they don't have the advantage of trying to go for a plane so they do this by hooking their pickup up to a traffic control tower and nobody notices because again summer of 2001 uh, and there's this pretty da- funny scene, actually, where they got the rotatey thing and it starts playing Hall of the Mountain King, which is songs that play when things get absolutely zany. Uh, but there's also a remix of it that shows up in a lot of holiday movie trailers. They just. Tra- mo- comedies where things just go wrong physically. It's a great song to have play over the trailer. But Rat Race had the audacity to play it during the scene in their movie where uh, they hook a cable up to a air control tower to knock it down but it starts rotating again because it's a dinky little car, it doesn't have the torque it gets pulled up instead and everyone's freaking out, the guy has a tongue piercing which means he can't say any coherent words uh, yeah, and it gets dragged up there which still knocks out air control which means no one can fly 300 miles from Vegas to small city in New Mexico where I'm sure there's an airport but uh, that's, that's the way the game's played and so that duty complete. They, I don't know, hijack a car or use like some sports car. Uh, heteronormativity rears its ugly head as they make their way to Silver City somehow. There's this lady in a Corvette or a Trans Am or something. I don't know. I don't know cars. I drive a truck and eh, it's more of a van really, but I don't know cars. So I think it's a Trans Am, but it's got this apparently hot chick and it starts playing the, I believe in milk mold song. And whenever she shows up they do that and they, they start showing off and I think they crash a car um, I don't know what happens I don't care what happens their entire purpose was holy shit we got Seth Green who is probably next to Rowan Atkinson the hottest commodity at the time because hey he was in Austin Powers which apparently was relevant in 2001 so that's uh, their story I, I don't think I'm missing anything next in line all right, next we'll go to uh, Whoopi Goldberg and her daughter, who, uh, this is rare for me, but I seriously IMDB'd Rat Race just to see who the daughter was and see if it was anyone important. But the daughter was Lenai Chapman. Uh might be Lenae Chapman, but she was, she's pretty good. I, I don't know her from anything else, but uh, I hope she's doing well, wherever she may be. I also didn't mention anything Whoopi Goldberg was in because she's already appeared on, I remember this cassette, in The Page Master. So, eh, I mean, she's cameos in the Little Rascals movie if we want to, like, say, oh, here's something I might review this year. I don't see why I wouldn't. So, there she is. But uh, I feel like a lot of these are somebody famous and then somebody that might be an up-and-comer, and then they whiffed on all six of them. So, hey, Lena Chapman, hope you're doing well, but I'm probably going to be mostly referring to Whoopi Goldberg. So, Whoopi Goldberg is... The mother of an estranged successful the estranged mother who like gave up their kid for adoption and the, the the kid went on to become a successful author or lawyer or something but she's very successful um and didn't care about the magic coin but Whoopi goldberg thought the the adventure would be interesting just the friends she made along the way a scam how delightful is something that she said. No, no. She's the one that got all the lines. So, really, it's her story. But, yeah. So, she meets her daughter at the hotel. They get the coin. And they go on their merry way. You, reluctant as the daughter is. Uh, they just take a car. Because uh, air travel goes down. So, they just hop in the, the daughter's vehicle. And they, they chat about life. And she's wondering why you gave me up. And there's kind of wings. Why do I keep calling wings I, I don't know. But it's like Beaches moments, girl power, all that crap. Uh, then they, Whoopi Goldberg or some, one of the two of them thinks there's a shortcut and they go in that shortcut and of course they get lost because Rat Race is all about dead comedy tropes. Uh, but along the way, they see a strange woman on the side of the road selling animals. This woman, by the way, is award winner Kathy Bates. Well, and to be fair, Whoopi Goldberg is also an Academy Award winner, and is pretty damn close to when he got. So, here's hoping Whoopi Goldberg. But yeah, there's the most talent, from according to people that vote in entertainment industry, uh, two of them around the screen at that point, which is pretty spectacular, I guess. Uh, she tries to sell him a squirrel. Uh, the young the, the the daughter gets pissed off and says, "Absolutely not." and Kathy Bates says, oh, don't worry about it, I'll give you a shortcut, and she gives him a shortcut, and probably best scene in the movie is the shortcut once again fails, but it sends him off a cliff, but the cliff warns him that they should have bought a squirrel. They drive off this cliff in their car and land on a giant pile of cars with uh, several dead drivers and skeletons that pop out of windows, and they have the cute little bags. Like, Kathy Bates, once again, has killed several people before the events of this movie. So they're stuck there, but they get out, but as Fortune and Providence would have it, and they have to have some other funny scene, uh, they are wandering through the Alkali Flats of the... Uh, I guess Las Vegas Desert, I don't think they're in New Mexico yet, but uh, they find as stuff that often happens in Alkali Bismuth Flats, you get, a. Uh, somebody testing a rocket car because, you know, that was relevant in 2001. They're trying to... They, that was just, like, a really 90s thing. Rocket cars trying to break the sound, the, the land speed record. Uh, they're having a display sort of thing, and the the young lady, the daughter, I'll just keep calling her that, she gets the keys to the thing and acts like she's a, a, a model, showing it off and then she and Whoopi Goldberg just hop in the rocket car and they break the land speed record um there is an interaction that happens later and I'll 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 mention it because I guess this is kind of like a a Rashomon sort of thing where there are brief encounters between them just for jokes but somebody who I will mention later fires a gun in a gas station but they break the they break the sound barrier and blow up the gas station and his gun goes off and they're matching the speed of a bullet which is a cool sight uh, but they they make a lot of headway towards Silver City they get out and they are dazed and confused and in an absolutely charming display there is a bus full of special needs people and they get mistaken for people with set special needs which is entertainment I suppose so they get on that bus which is heading in the general direction of Silver City and then they they hijack a bus full of special needs people and they make their way towards the uh, the final destination. And that's sort of charming, delightful, and totally passing as comedy, now fashion. Next in line. John Levitz is a family dad. He's not like an overworked type. He's just on vacation with his wife and two horrible children. His wife, by the way, is Kathy Nogini, who has appeared on I Remember This Cassette before in the form of Buttercup in Hocus Pocus. Uh, But I actually knew her better from um, a thing called In Search of Dr. Seuss, which is a really weird TV special that is exactly what it sounds like. So anyway, they're a family. He's like the only person that really has family stuff outside of maybe Seth Green who's with his brother, but I'm pretty sure that may be a con artist thing. No, never mind. They're definitely related. Yeah, thank you so much, phone. Okay, lost my train of thought there. Choo-choo. The train hasn't even happened yet. Okay, so uh, they—he's trying to get away from his wife and two horrible children, John Levitz's—and he goes down to the casino and then he gets lucky on a slot machine, that is, (laughs) and he gets the coin. And goes to the room, and then we have the who let the dogs out, running down the stairs. Uh, But he runs to his family, like, say, okay, we need to get out of here right now. I don't know why John Levitz is Bob Kennedy, or Jack Kennedy, or Kennedy, but it's John Levitz, everybody. And it's funny, because I can do the John Levitz voice pretty good, but here I am making him a Kennedy, but (laughs) all right. Uh, He doesn't explain the situation, because that's what family life is all about. But um, they, they have to get out of there. Uh, and drive to New Mexico because New Mexico seems really fun, doesn't it, kids? Uh, um, they're, they're in a hurry. By uh, By the time the flight thing happens and there's no more planes, they're already driving, so when he hears about that somehow, he gets a heads up and realizes he has a head start. Now there is no time to lose because they're the only one that were definitely driving. So they're not allowed to stop for anything. Uh, someone has to pee. They pee in a bottle like it's freaking Amazon. Uh, but eventually... The little girl's like, I have to go to the euphemism. And he's like, nobody goes to the euphemism on a night like this, daughter. You are going to go in that bottle. But I gotta go twosies. I'm prairie dogging it. There's a lot of horrible imagery that is capped off with the little girl taking a shit out the window and cursing out her father. The shit lands on a cop's window. They get pulled over. I think the car gets impounded or something. No, no, never mind. They just get a ticket, but then they keep driving. And then the little girl sees something called the Barbie museum. Which, after that debacle of, you know, taking a shit out the window, the road to forgiveness is paved to going to museums for your kids. So, after Catherine and Jeannie nag saying, you know, you should probably do that. He's like, fine, I'll, I'll stop at the Bobby Museum. I still have this accent that I don't know why. Uh, so they do. But, dear audience, it is not the Barbie that we know and love. It's the Barbie that the president knows and loves. A Nazi. Uh... I don't know how they have advertisements for this obvious World War II total Nazi with Nazi propaganda, swastikas, and everything, but there they are. There's jokes about it, all of that jazz. For some reason, they can't get back in their own car, so they climb aboard the Hitlermobile, which is Hitler's old car that the man himself once drove in. How nice. Uh... They're driving down the road getting weird looks from just about everybody. Uh, Kathy Nagini starts playing with a lipstick that once belonged to Mrs. Hitler and it was black and creepy because, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, there's a cigarette lighter that they were commenting on. I, and all of these things, as fate, providence, and the plot would have it, uh, because he gives a funny look to a lady on a motorcycle. They get ridden off the road and crash into what is either a World War II veterans convention or a Holocaust survivors convention, but I'm pretty sure it's not that one because, yeah, while they make some dark humor on that one, that's a bit really dark for even a Zucker brother who, by the way, this was directed by one of the Zucker brothers, but not both of them. They are best known for Airplane, Ruthless People, Naked Gun top secret and after this movie they reconvened and made a movie that shall remain nameless forevermore but uh, yeah i feel like even though they're going all the way with the hitler stuff because he's got uh he smudged the black lipstick to give him the charlie Chapman mustache he swallowed the cigarette lighter to make him speak in what seems like german and as he explains the situation on how he waved to the biker he gives the old bellamy salute and they're run out on a rail, but I think they still stay in the Hitler mobile and they utilize the Hitler mobile to once again, make it into the city as a family. At some time, I think he explains the situation and everyone is all aborted and they could have avoided a lot of trouble. If you said, hey kids, I just want to make $2 million and that would be a really good vacation, wouldn't it? And that the wife and kids would probably love that. I'd have gotten aboard on it and I was a rotten kid. So, hey. It could have saved a lot of trouble, but we would have been spared so many hilarious jokes. But that's the way things go in this old rat race of a film. Next in line. Uh, We'll go with Cuba Gooding Jr. next, uh, since we're kind of running out of people. By that I mean we've done three and there's three left, so that enters the back half of our motley crew. So Cuba Gooding Jr. is currently the most hated man in the sports world right now because he was a referee that... Botched a call. And for those who aren't aware, Las Vegas, until fairly recently, didn't have any major sporting teams. They definitely didn't in 2001. So for the most hated man in sports who cause a lot of people to lose their bets and then immediately go to the gamblingest place on earth, raises several questions. But hey, you get a lot of jokes out of it, and that's what it's really all about in this comedy among comedies that is Rat Race. So, he gets there. Uh, the movie starts with him taking a taxi over, um, and they're talking over the sports radio and the taxi cabs guy's talking about just how bad that whole thing was now. He lost so much money. And um, when he gets out of the taxi and goes into the hotel, uh, the other taxi driver says to the first one, you know who that guy was? That was that was the bonehead who made the play. And he goes, what? And then we have all the first stuff in the movie. He's just... Uh, he gets a coin while he's sitting at the bar while people are mad at him and TV's explaining who he is. Somewhere in the middle of it all, this drunken stupor, he gets a pilot costume disguise and uh, then when they have the who let the dogs out staircase moment, he rushes into a, a taxi and it's the same guy. He says, oh, it's so nice to see you and he just gives an evil grin and makes him go back in time to revisit Christmas for a bit, but... Uh, no, he just, he, he starts giving the ride. The taxi driver acts like he doesn't know what's going on. says, oh no, I'll give you a shortcut. After all, you're my very best friend. If you think it's a bad idea, why don't we flip a coin? And then, uh, cause it was about a coin flip. And he, he reveals that he hated him all along and dumps him in the middle of a desert with nothing but his clothes and his name, which he tells should, who you should forget. Uh, he ends up going to a gas station, not the same gas station that we saw later in the movie, but earlier in the podcast, but later in the podcast, uh, it's a bus stop. So he's over there and the bus driver comes into the bathroom while he's in the bathroom and he uses his ungodly charisma points to convince him that there's, he has a wife, <laughs> laughable concept that who is currently having a baby. Oh wait, no. That's where he gets the costume. Never mind. He was, take. He got all his clothes taken away by the guy, but he he takes the bus driver's outfit to convince like he needs all this because the wife's having a baby, and then he leaves to say he's gonna go help his wife have the baby. But in actuality, it's to come near the bus. I just noticed how much of this movie just consists of stealing automobiles. They should have just called this movie Grand Theft Auto, the movie, because Grand Theft Auto. In 2001, dear audiences, was just getting its big comeback with GTA 3. There's your little video game factoid of the month or two. But yeah, no, he he commandeers another vehicle. This time it's a bus, and he talks to uh, the lovely red-haired woman who just like says, "Oh, he's the new bus driver. It's nice to meet you." Hi, this is Owen, I think his name is. Say hello, ladies hello ladies yeah it's um it is a i love lucy convention how delightful because you know if there's if there's ever been a celebrity impersonation to do <laughs> and I, I mean i'm not big on celebrity impersonators but i know i know some some connect on the show but i love lucy is definitely a relevant one in 2001 point is, there's a bus full of I Love Lucy's and Cuba Gooding Jr. is driving this bus. He, um... Things are going alright until one of the Lucy's who... Oh, there's a a charming joke about cross-dressing and having a dick. Because, again, colorful humor that flied really well in 2001. Despite not many things flying well in 2001. Uh, Right. He... And one of the Lucy's is smoking a cigarette and throws it out the window, and then it goes out and lands in the other Lucy's wig. Uh, When I was talking about Polar Express last month, I remember the ticket flying out landing in someone's hair. I think I was thinking of this. My point is, the hair gets set on fire, and there is... They put it out with soap and water, and it plays the Isle of Lucy's theme while soap and smoke and fire and bodies are coming out of the bus. They eventually have to pull over because in addition to all of this dear audience, they get a flat tire. But he's not actually a bus driver. He's a referee, and he's not very good at that either. He's not good at anything, Cuba Gooding Jr. No wonder I don't know you from any other movies. Ah. So he tries to change a bus tire. The bus tire rolls away. All the Lucys make the Lucy yeah, ...sound in unison. It's 30 of them, and I guess that constitutes as a joke. Um, he's revealed to be a fraud and he is chased down the interstate by several Lucys trying to get a new bus. Eventually, he makes his way to a Native American reservation and uses whatever money that he somehow has, even though the taxi driver took some, and we were in an age before debit cards. He uses what he has to commandeer a horse uh, because the convention was held either in Silver City or Albuquerque or Gallup or some other place near Silver City. So he rides a horse into town, And that's how he gets to Silver City. Yep, that's Cuba Gooding Jr. Next in line, Brecken is next up on the list. Uh, He, who let that, who let the dogs out? I don't think he's even there, going down the stairs because he doesn't give a hoot or a care. Um, he just, no, I've got a good life being a single guy whose friends were all getting married. Why should I bother going on this adventure? I'm milk toast. And he throws his key in the garbage and just sits down and reads a book. Then the Seth Green incident happens, and all the planes go down. Um, And he's going, hey, well, what do you know? Those people are really in for a shit show. And while he's reading the book, he sees a lovely woman reading a book as well. I think it's the same book. Uh, this woman is played by Amy Smart, who I don't know from anything else, but I distinctly know she was in this. And they, she, they, they strike up a conversation, and he offers to buy the lovely lady a drink because heteronormativity rears its ugly head. Uh, she says, no, I got to fly. And he says, uh, didn't you hear? All the, all the flights are down. And she explains, oh, no, I'm, I'm a helicopter pilot. Our rules are different, I guess. Because I guess if you're a helicopter pilot... Air traffic control is unnecessary, but hey, you know, gotta have a plot. So he has this realization that wait, she's she's a helicopter pilot, and we can hang out. Everybody else can't fly, so I immediately have the advantage of being the only one who can travel by air. He jumps into a garbage can and grabs his key, and unlike John Levitz to your audience. He explains the situation about the two million dollars, and because they're the only ones that can fly, they can totally have this adventure. And even though she's the only one that can fly, and therefore has the advantage of air travel, Ad could probably do some professional stuff like that. Nope, she's in for it. He, she's in. So off they go into their on their helicopter voyage, and they're heading over there. But then she decides to take a shortcut. Which we're batting about 0 for everything on this one. The shortcut is to check on her boyfriend who has a history of cheating. And lo, and behold, mine friendorinos and friendorinas and friends of all genders. He's cheating. He's a cheating in an above ground pool. And Amy Smart is going to exact her revenge on his beloved pickup truck. So. She throws hammers and coffee cans and paint and fire extinguishers and all sorts of mean, nasty, ugly things at him and his truck. He freaks out. Uh, She knocks him out with something and then tries to fly away, but she used up too much gas, so the helicopter crashes. So they no longer have the advantage of flight, but they do have a vehicle, which is the pickup truck that they just gave the works to. So they commandeer that vehicle and drive away. But uh, that, that's it for them because that was a lot of budget and a whole lot of Breckenmeyer for that movie. So he's gone for a while. But they get back to them. They're driving towards Silver City in a beat-up car uh, when it runs out of gas or has a leak or something's wrong with it. So they have to stop on the desert roads. They find the only gas station in town and Trucker McDipshit is over there, and he says, yeah, that'll be $500 for what is clearly $2 to fix, because he put, like, gum on it. And Amy Smart and and Breckenmeyer know that they are being fleeced. And he says, well, it's $500 or I kill you, and I'm pretty sure he... Oh, no, he does pull a gun on him. Pulls the gun, spins the uh, chamber, and says, you're not being fair at all. Breckenmeyer just, white milk toast just. Well, let's be reasonable on this. Uh, and he said, well, if God didn't want this to happen, may he strike me down right now. And then we jump back to the Whoopi Goldberg story where they're in the rocket car. And they go zooming by, break the sound barrier, blow up the gas station when uh, with the sonic boom. And it, in surprise, the gun goes off. And you see the bullet go by a, right next to Whoopi Goldberg and friends. And I guess he learned the error of his ways and that Jesus and God are real. And in the true Christian fashion, he just fixes the, fixes the car, gets it like working well enough that they can get into Silver City. And they hop in the beat up pickup truck and head on over there. And that's their story. And at this point, there's only one guy left and, uh, let's hear from him right now. I mean, next in line wise. This leaves us, I suppose, with arguably the most famous person in the movie, certainly the top build, like he was the one they were advertising a lot, the one and only Rowan Atkinson, who, uh, they don't tell his backstory at all when they have the big convention at the beginning of the movie. He just walks in the door, and he says he got this shiny coin, because the renowned British Seth Thespian who did friggin' Blackadder... Uh, but is only known as the slapstick mastermind Mr. Bean as walking around with a Pinocchio Italian accent. So, good job. Nobody knows his background, and that's kind of the point. He says crazy stuff like, It's a race. I hope I win. And when they're doing Who Let the Dogs Out, he's running down the stairs. It's a race. It's a race. Uh, He gets out the door and immediately passes out because, as I briefly mentioned earlier, he's narcoleptic. So he passes out and... Thank God for Rowan Atkinson and his agent. He doesn't appear for the next half of the movie, but after everybody switched cars or vehicles at least once, he wakes up, takes three steps, and is hit by an ambulance. So uh, they freak out because Gloria Allred herself, who made a cameo, who I believe was the lawyer that Seth Green saw, Gloria Allred herself saw him get hit. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, I need to get out of here because Gloria Allred's going to see me, says Newman. So he just says, so Mr. Bean just gets up and gets in the ambulance as if they're good friends and he was heading to Silver City or that adjacent area anyway so giving him a ride and not getting sued by Gloria Allred seems like a win-win so it's Newman and Mr. Bean on a wild adventure so they have they strike up some conversations about what he does for a living he uh there's a joke about hauling ass but actually he's hauling a heart a human heart and <laughs> of course they take it out of the cooler and check it out and Mr... and Rowan Atkinson sneezes. He's so much more than Mr. Bean. He deserves better and yet here he is in Rat Race dressed like a Vincent Price in the Batman series egg omelet head and talking like friggin Captain Italian Christmas donkey. So he sneezes and the heart flies out the window and a dog eats it. So they try and pick it up. There's holes all over the place. It's not going to do very well when placed in a patient. And there's stuff with electric fences that try to start it. Just a bunch of gags about human hearts. Somebody dies because of it. Just bear in mind. Uh, And he comes to the... Newman realizes, why don't we just... Oh, by the way, Newman, you have seen in Space Jam. uh, To talk about your history and moving forward with remembering this cassette. He is an alum from Space Jam. But he's just figuring, hey, we should strangle a drifter and take his heart. If, if the guy does, passes out from incompatible organs, that's not on me. Where can I find a drifter? By the way, where did you say you were from? I'm from Italy. I don't have friends or family. I'm all alone. And he, he may look and act stupid, but he's not stupid. He says there's a drifter going by and bolts out of there, takes three steps, and is hit by another train. Because, you know, that's some scary movie level of being hit by vehicles on... Renowned Thespian Rowan Atkinson. God, that had to have been a large sack of money. So he's on the train because apparently getting hit by a train gets you put on a train. Whatever. This guy's indestructible. And uh, next thing you know, he's just kind of chilling, making Mr. Bean faces because you gotta have Rowan Atkinson on a vehicle. I think it's a stipulation in his contract that he has to be making funny faces at people at some point on a vehicle. So he he's playing with the baby. And the baby takes his key because it's a shiny object and then he realizes oh shoot he needs that key to open the locker and get the money and so he starts grabbing at the baby and it's this strange looking guy in strange-looking clothes and it's it's in a post Pee Wee Herman society so he gets the crap kicked out of him by the moms that are concerned maybe there's plastic candy canes maybe there aren't but then he gets thrown off the train at the next station Uh, Now, back with John Cleese and his rich friends, there have been those interluding scenes where they have these bets. There's the uh, sex worker in the tub of Pepto-Bismol and they were betting on how much it would cost. It was nutty sort of stuff. Real-life Monopoly crap. Uh, At this point, everybody is approaching the city, uh, except they don't say what happened with Ronex and except he got thrown off the train station. Uh, They're they're all getting there at about the same time because that's the way the plot demands it, my my dear audience. Uh, They... Arrive there, they get closer, they all convene at about the same time because they start recognizing each other. You've got a Kiba Jr. on a horse, you've got Breckenmeyer and, and Amy Smart in the big up, beat up pickup truck, and you've got the Mobile with the entire Levitz clan. They're all getting there at the same time, they're fighting to get in the door, and they open the door to the locker room, and they see Rowan Atkinson standing there, key in the locker. So they think it's game over, but then they realize, wait, that bitch ass is narcoleptic. The game's afoot, the game's still going. And they wrestle with each other and eventually get the thing open. By the way, they jostle and he wakes up and everybody has a look of horror when they realize it's empty, the opposite of full. That's right, in the midst of confusion, Teller got interested in the sex worker and they absconded with the money and are g- flying away to Mexico or some shit. And they all realize it. And now the chase is on. After his fucking ass. And it all comes to a head because now everyone's back together. All the funny people with all their little gimmicks and stories. Comes to a thrilling conclusion in the next act. So, drawing another parallel to Mad World. Now that the money is known. Like, its location, its whereabout is known. Now everyone's just kind of convening. And on the screen at once, they're really doing their gimmicks so much as just shouting. And chasing the money, which I guess was the entire point of the movie in the first place, so uh, now we just distill everything we've got into one last mad dash. So, yeah, Teller has the money, and they're chasing him. They, they realize, because he's got, like, this briefcase, and a sex worker also holding a briefcase, and the legs of the sex worker are sticking out of the briefcase, and... He gets in whatever vehicle he had. John Cleese is on the case because I guess when you're rich, you can teleport because somehow he's making his way to intercept them, even though he was in Vegas the entire time. But they're all they think one of their vans vehicles is a van or it's a tour bus or something, but they're all in the same vehicle chasing after them. Uh, somewhere in the middle of it all, there is a cow stuck on a hot air balloon. Oh, that was Seth Green's other vehicle. I just realized when I went through Seth Green's story, all I had was their crappy car with the milk molds woman. Uh, but they were also traveled in a hot air balloon with a cow strapped to the end of it. Uh, it comes by and hits, uh, no, it doesn't come by. It does come by, but then Teller gets on it with the money And he's in the hot air balloon (laughs) Somebody pulls a gun No, not really Uh, They fly and chase after it And By the end of it all uh, I guess John Cleese took a helicopter or something But They land in a concert hall Because, you know If you've ever been to Silver City, New Mexico God help you you should know that it's not near anything at all, and yet here we are landing in a concert hall. I guess they floated all the way to Albuquerque or something because they that has a concert hall, open air stuff like that. But uh, yeah, they they get over there, and <laughs> there's a show going on, and they all get on stage, with with the guy there. But the, the music that's playing and the band that's on there is quickly made realized by our entire cast of characters when one of the people shouts out loud. I believe it's Seth Green or Breckin Meyer or maybe even John Levitz. But they say the best line in the movie: "Hey, it's Smash Mouth," <laughs> because it's it's beloved and the most 2001 band ever around, Smash Mouth doing a concert, which, now, when I really think about it, in 2001, okay, yeah, they'd be playing Silver City, New Mexico, and enjoying it. In 2007, they were playing a street fest in suburban Chicago, where I was living, and that was great. But the point of the story is, um, Smash Mouth is holding a concert, a benefit concert, you see. They've got all these... Adorable, precocious kids with ass cancer or something. And they're saying, we're raising money for the kids. And then the hot air balloon just thuds on stage with the money. And they come to this altruistic realization that they don't need the money. The money has set them apart. It's about the friends they made along the way. By along the way, I mean the friends and family that they had the entire time because... I mean, they didn't really change their group dynamics at all. They spent most of their movie apart. But they come to this realization that the money is best spent, give to the kids. By the way, the kids is capital T, capital K, because giving money to the kids is a special charitable concept. I mean, We don't know what it is. We don't know what's wrong with the kids. I don't believe they said what's up with the kids other than, Uh, they have a little bit of makeup dirt on their faces, thus meaning they're apparently poor. And with Smashville saying, come on, give the money to the kids. You know to do the right thing. Everyone, one by one, says, yeah, let's give the money to the kids. And then uh, John Cleese shows up in his, I guess, also hot air balloon, also thuds onto the stage and says, wait, that money's mine! None of you actually opened the bag, so... The money still belongs to me. And they just say, Hey, look, it's John Cleese, the one who started it all. And he's going to match all the money that is donated. So if everyone else donates more than $2 million, he will match all that. And (laughs) because it was said out loud in front of the eyes of God and Snashmouth himself, John Cleese is apparently beheld into it. And the movie reaches its thrilling conclusion with... Smash Mouth playing All-Star and everybody just crowd surfing in the audience as the money goes up and John Cleese looks on with horror because apparently he's beheld into it. We are once again in a world where lawyers supposedly don't exist and yet we had a cameo by Gloria Allred herself so I'm not sure how it all works but apparently the millions just climb and John Cleese is out of a job except for being rich. So, happy ending. Nobody gets the money except the kids. But, hey, at least we had one of several movies of that era ending with Snashmouth playing All-Star, except Snashmouth was really there. And that's a hell of a payoff. I mean, Mad, 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 Mad World ended with everybody in the hospital with injuries and the money uh, going to the cops or something. But the movie ends with Ethel Merman, who is a female, uh, slipping on a banana peel and busting her ass. And then everybody, despite their injuries, just laughing and laughing and laughing. So, you be the judge on which movie ended better. Whether it was Ethel Merman falling over and everyone laughing because she's a woman and a nag or Smash Mouth taking all the money and donating it to kids to John Cleese's horror. It is not my place as a mere curator of memorable cassettes to judge what's better. That is up to you, dear audience. Make the right choice. The end. Final thoughts on Rat Race. Look... Mad, 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 mad world was a wonderful concept of a film, even though, oh God, it was just very patriarchal. And the ending just kind of sucked balls, except for the whole, okay, laughter is what makes the world go round, because everyone was just in trouble with the law and had grave bodily injuries. But everything else was incredible. Like It was... Everybody was showing up. I I, I can't begin to describe to you how it, when I say everybody, I mean everybody that had a pulse in 1968 or whatever was there. The the Three Stooges show up for five seconds after Larry had had five strokes, but they still showed up for five seconds. No lines, nothing. Everybody was in Mad, 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 Mad world. With Rat Race, while they had this noble concept of, hey, let's try and do that stuff again, nobody was going to show up because... Everyone has commitments and better things to do in 2001. They had their TV shows, sitcoms, stand-up specials. The world moved on from movies like that, and you don't see stuff like that anymore, except maybe the Avengers films nowadays. Ayo. Uh, But just Rat Race tried and kind of failed. Though it it has its comedic moments, I I guess. Uh, It's nothing that special. Like, the biggest failing of it, Uh, outside of it aging horribly was there was very little interaction between the people it just seemed like six separate plot lines that occasionally crossed over as a deus ex machina for someone else's plot line to advance the plot uh it was hey we're trying to remake mad 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 world uh nobody else you you don't have anything else on your slate so come on join the fun nobody famous really famous outside of Seth, I'm between Austin Powers movies, Green, and Rowan. Uh, I'll pretty much do anything to get more fame in the United States. Atkinson and Dame Whoopi Goldberg preview. They they just kind of showed up and did their thing. Whatever, and it has its funny moments again, but uh, they had proved pro- positive that they couldn't pull that stuff off anymore. Uh, the ending was so cliched. It's beautiful and wonderful. I mean, it's not something that I need to see again even after reviewing it. Like I think I've gotten the point across. But it just is weird. Like I didn't know what to do. There, there. I didn't have anyone to sponsor this episode. And I had a lot of trouble just trying to figure out how to describe the movie because it's just so jaunty and all over the place because there's one or two scenes and then it jumps to someone else even though they're not together, whereas with Mad, 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 Mad World, uh, okay, granted, they did a lot of the same stuff there, but there'd be, like, uneasy alliances, people having to share a vehicle, getting lost in the Arctic and breaking off Buddy Hackett's mustache, all sorts of things like that, Mad, Mad World 2001 just didn't do that, and It's not not their fault, just people probably have agents and stipulations on their contract where they don't want to work with other people, except for the people that they're designated with. They get their little mentor-mentee thing where you get someone famous and someone not famous at all and kind of make it work. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of going in circles here, but... Uh, I love the John Cleese bits, even though I didn't really go into them in in the overview, because that just didn't make sense with the way I set up reviewing this, which was weird, and that's why this episode took so long to make, because I was debating how to to present it. But most of this was dear audience. Oh, God, I said dear audience out of character, whatever. Okay, most of it was little bits and previews of stuff I've already done on this series that we've gone so far into, because, I mean, we're 15 weeks in. It's pretty cool. And stuff I'm considering doing moving forward. Uh, I don't know. I kind of... I'm liking this podcasting stuff. I'm enjoying it. I kind of want to do, like, a week-by-week Goosebumps sort of thing. If anyone was that way inclined, like, just read a Goosebumps book and do this sort of stuff on it. I don't know. Now I'm just thinking out loud on, like, what I want to do podcast content creation-wise. It's been on my mind. And this was just kind of a creative jump for me doing this Rashomon-esque rat race review. That's a hell of an alliteration. I don't know. But yeah, hopefully you've got some ideas on what's what's to come. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, We've got some good things on the docket. And hope you stick around for all those. Tell your friends. I'm still only at like three viewers a week right now, but I appreciate all three of you. Big smooches to those who get smooches and hugs to my sister because kissing sisters is weird. Anyway, they're announcing when the new Game of Thrones season starts tomorrow. On that note, I'm getting out of here. Like, comment, subscribe, toodles.